Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And we we're so excited. We're international now. Wow. We did it. <laughs> Feeling we're Asian has gone global. Waters. <laughs> we are a world renowned podcast now. Yeah, we're talking to a guest who is in Hong Kong, but now I'm like thinking, did we have a guest that was somewhere else another country no. before no this is the first time i have i'm i'm not sure either but i'm just going in <laughs> with blind confidence no <laughs> brian we yeah. made it we've gone global now <laughs> your podcast has really big reach wow really listeners did you hear that there was my friend like getting her eyebrows done and she was talking about, gosh, I love this podcast, Feeling <gasps> Asian. And the woman doing her eyebrows was like, I love Feeling what? Asian. And I was like, what? Whoa. That was in Hong Kong? It was okay. in New York. But, um, <laughs> I do think that was kind of a kind of a random story, though, just between my friend and her eyebrow artist. It just made me think, like, that's really sweet that you could, like, bond about the pod. That's amazing. Wow. I love that's that. That's so nice. Cats out of the bag, listeners. That was, uh, if you heard that third voice, that is our wonderful guest this week. Um, but yeah, I'm going to introduce you, Caitlin. So our guest listeners this week is an incredibly talented cartoonist and cultural worker based in Hong Kong. So listeners, give your ears for Caitlin Chan. Hi. Nice to be on the pod. Thanks for having me. We're so excited that you're here. Thanks for doing it. I know you just had like a spate of very illustrious, like world famous guests, like world famous comedians and models and like Pulitzer Prize cartoonists. So thank you for welcoming back the uh, regular average people. Oh, please yeah. stop it. You're yeah. being too humble right now. <laughs> stop being so Asian. That classic humility. <laughs> no, it's true. Just got to like downplay everything you do for the rest of your life. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for well, doing it. Well, it's really exciting to meet you and talk to you. I know that you and Brian have been doing cartoon collaborations together. What's going on with that? Yeah, I remember um, I was watching maybe it was like your first live oh. show. Like I was streaming it mm -hmm. from here. And I think that there was like a little like I was like waiting for it to start. And I was like, maybe I should just like reach out to see if like Brian wants to like make a piece together. Just because I feel like we kind of have like similar like awkward <laughs> like cringe anxiety humor <laughs> so I was like what's the worst that can happen so like I had I had one tab open with your with your show which I was like so excited to stream and then I had one tab open with like Brian's website and I was like I'll just write him an email like it's fine um, but I was very surprised to hear back and it was fun to like make those like weird little slice of life cartoons together so wow I love how you're like wow Brian's awkward I'm awkward I'm gonna reach out to him that's so funny yeah what <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure in the initial pitch email you're like you have really cool sick awesome dude humor <laughs> but the true wow okay awkward cringe I guess that's my personal <laughs> I'm just kidding but, <laughs> no but it is in like a loving course. way in a loving way um that's so funny to me how uh we can all get so in our heads about these interactions and even if it's something as innocuous as sending an email because when I received an email from you, I had already yeah. come across your comics and your work on Instagram and I was so intimidated. I was like, what, me? No. I mean, you're, you're a cartoonist for The New Yorker. This is an, I, I'm not funny enough to collaborate with you. This is wild. And yeah, I'm really glad that we were able to work together and have managed to get a few pieces in there because it's been a really fun experience. But I'm very, uh, it's very funny to hear that you were like, 
oh, I don't know if this person, like, I have, truly have nothing going on. So for listeners who want to collaborate, just my DMs are open. <laughs> Brian got one email and he was like, oh my God, I got an email. He was so excited. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I told young me. <laughs> but you know, Caitlin, you're familiar with the pod. You know how this goes. Before we ask you how you're feeling, young me, how are you feeling? I don't even know. I, I, I'm feeling like great. I feel positive. I'm uh, getting th- getting things done and, you know, getting prepared for my trip. The next time I think after this episode, I'm in New York. But next time you hear from me, I'm going to be in Korea. I'm a little scared because the last time I went to Korea, I had a psychotic break. <laughs> Mm. I don't know if I fully ever admitted that on the pod, but I had a mo- I had a crisis. Wow. Um and uh oh so this is so this is what led to it. Um I I'm afraid of this happening again. So in Korea, you know, I don't read as Korean. And so what ends up happening is on the street, people will like talk about me non-stop i'm not i'm not exaggerating i don't know if anyone listening has been to korea but you know like korean people do like chansori chansori is just like small talk about just stuff that they observe but in the culture they tend to just what i've noticed is they just tend to talk about stuff that they see right like all the time so in korea if you sit in a restaurant you'll hear the person the people sitting next to you being like oh this is a nice restaurant oh look at the plants oh this is i saw this blah blah and they'll just non-stop just be commenting on like observing the scene around them and part of that is that because they think i'm like foreign and don't understand korean they'll just say stuff about me like fully Mm. to my face but it's like constant so it would be like i would walk out on the street and I, I know if you live in Korea, you know this is not an exaggeration. Like, I would walk out in the street and, like, the people, like, waiting at the red light would be like, oh, like, look at her bag. Look at her this. Look at her this. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe she's wearing that. And I was like, and it's just like, I'm just not used to that. And I don't think anyone should hear shit like that. But then I was like, oh, it's because Koreans think I'm foreign. So they're, they're, op- they're like, openly saying shit like that. But then, okay, I have, I have this experience. And I, and I think this perfectly encapsulates encapsulates like the culture i was in like a food court in a mall right in seoul and there were these two women walking in front of me wearing like the kyobok kyobok is like the uniform and in korea even if you work at like a mall you have like a uniform right and their uniform was like a blazer and a mini skirt and it was and then like stockings right and these two women were walking in front of me And obviously they're made to wear this because it literally says like the brand of their company on their blazer. And they're walking in front of me and every single person commented that one of the women, she was a little overweight and her legs were fat. And every single fucking person that walked by us said that. Like chansori, just like in passing, so she could kind of hear it out of the corner of her ear, you know? And I was like, this is crazy making. This is crazy fucking making. First of all, Mm. she knows what her fucking legs look like. Second of all, it's her fucking uniform. She didn't choose to wear that. It's not like, leave her the, like, and I was like, when I was, I was hearing these ajumma, like these old ladies, like, you know, the people that sell stuff at the food court, like saying, oh, oh, why is she wearing that? Oh, she has budari, like radish legs. (laughs) Like, and I was like, this yeah. is making me insane. Like, imagine being her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Right. 
And that tr that triggered something in me where I couldn't leave the Airbnb I was in for like a day where I was like l couldn't leave the bed because I couldn't handle going outside and hearing people say stuff about me. But yo, I mean, that's a long story, but I'm just worried about all these mental health things that come come with, you know, going to Korea and also being around my parents, you know, this is very so real. A, I yeah. Totally get that. Having anxiety I would say, about that. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I think most of my arguments that I've had with my parents stem from this idea of, like, chansori or, like, just, yeah, like, yeah. those types of observations. And what it boils down to is, like, if you don't have anything nice <sighs> to say, then just don't fucking say it. <laughs> like, they don't, don't have that saying in Korea. <laughs> Koreans have never heard that. They're like, what do you mean? I'm going to say everything. <laughs> <laughs> why does your hair look stupid or something <laughs> and, and also going there with pink hair it, it's gonna be every single person like look at your hair look at this pink your hair is pink your hair is oh, over God. and over again when you're walking down the street it's like it makes me absolutely lose my mind to the where mm. i actually had like a, a crisis right like a mental health crisis but and also yeah. you know my parents and that that's like a whole thing and everyone knows that feeling of having to go see your parents and yeah and it's been three years and you know since covid i've, I've become very <laughs> fragile and i'm a very different person than i was three years ago i will f literally fist fight somebody now you know? i believe in you young me i think you're gonna <laughs> <laughs> i think you're gonna persevere and and win and survive yeah. this trip of <laughs> I'm just gonna, yeah maybe i'm a very different person now maybe i'll go there and it won't bother me i'll be like haha i've i don't give a shit <laughs> who knows that's how I'm, I'm, i feel so i'm feeling a little anxious about my trip um how about you brian how are you feeling i'm feeling a bit uh lizard brain right now uh, uh -oh. <laughs> no 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 i just i feel like a fucking lizard brain right now i just this past week i've just been doing the same thing every goddamn day <clears throat> and mm -hmm. without much variance and uh yeah, I just feel my no thoughts. Just I'm feel like I'm operating on autopilot right now because just wake up, pod work, work on this packet that's due. Ooh. Play tennis. When's that due? Uh, in in two weeks. But nice. Um, okay. yeah. So I've just this, been. Brian. I'm on autopilot. I don't know. It just feels gross and yucky. And, you know, I, th I have, co I have spoken about how I don't, I don't feel as creative and I was listening to, uh, I was a YouTube interview with this, uh, with a comedian and he said, cause they asked him like, Oh, where do you, what helps you write? Like, how do you get out of writer's block? And he said, just to like experience new things. Because once you fall mm. into routine, like you stop, you're on autopilot and you stop noticing shit. And like the key to being like a good comedian is to like make astute observations <laughs> and like notice things. And so when you don't. <laughs> like Koreans. <laughs> notice everything. <laughs> Every Don't let anything slide by without mentioning it. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I, I'm just feel like I'm lizard brain operating on autopilot. But this weekend, I want to make a point to experience something uncomfortable and kind of sharp reawaken my senses a bit because I feel like I'm mm. my knife is dull right now. I'm not like my perception isn't 
quite there in the way that it was like two weeks ago because I've just been doing the same goddamn thing every day. But yeah, that's mm. how I'm feeling. You should go to a museum. <laughs> that always feels good to me, no matter what. Yo, that's a, actually, that's a great idea. I think I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, even if it's like a corny, like anything, just like it's like stimulating. I Fuck yeah. All right. That gives me full permission to the go to the Stranger Things experience in Brooklyn. Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, Caitlin, how are you feeling? Before I share how I'm feeling, I um, I just want to note that there's like a, a historical precedent for Head Empty. I was like reading this like poetry anthology and there was like this beautiful poem and the writer she'd written uh, my head is magnificently empty and my heart is dangerously mm. full. And it was a Russian poet from 1915. Yo. And I was like, 1915, they already needed to be head empty. But that's kind of my, my mantra for the I summer is also my heart is dangerously full. <gasps> my head has zero thoughts or ability to compute or like process literally anything at this that. point. Um, yeah, I'm feeling very emo, which is probably appropriate for feeling Asian. I just like... There was a typhoon today. Uh, it's like a tropical monsoon season here. Oh. So it's like pouring buckets of rain. People's umbrellas are like inverting on the street and they're like being dragged mm. away. And I just saw everyone like with their street, straw, street stalls just like trying to hold on to all wow. their like dried seafood and like fruits and produce like blowing away. And I just like went to my friend's place and like cried on her couch and she made me instant noodles and I was like sobbing oh, and I was like, I don't want to get eye bags because I'm like recording feeling Asian and then they do video, not just audio. <laughs> and she was like, it's okay. Just like use my concealer. So I've got the concealer, um, but also no eye bag shame. This is like a safe space to safe space to cry if we need to. Yeah, I think. Don't. Yeah, don't eye bag shame the listeners. I'm just kidding. I thought eye bags were, you know, that surgery in South Korea where they put eye eye ba- fluffy eyebrow eye bags under your eyes. Brian, have you seen that? Because they think it's cute. No. no. So you got the sexy sexy eye eye bags going. Yeah. The oh, fluffy it's eye like bags. Sleepy like sleepy sleepy eyes. No, it's like underneath. They make it pu- like a little, yeah, like they little put pockets. little fat in underneath your eyes. I don't know. Oh, they want they think that. It's cute. Mm-hmm yeah oh it's like deliberate i kind of think that yeah all beauty ideals are circular right because when i was growing up in the 90s people like wanted to have thin lips and like girls with big lips were like constantly being made fun of and i was also told to like wear less lip color because my lips are like too Mm. big and now people like inject stuff into their lips and i was like shit it's like come full circle i don't need to feel bad about this anymore just wait Um, a few years it's funny you were commenting (laughs) <laughs> just wait a few years um you were commenting on like all the comments like the public commenting yeah. in mm-hmm. south korea and i've only ever mm-hmm. been once i like went to visit my friend paul in seoul in like 2018 mm-hmm. but i didn't i like forgot to pack makeup because i was like kind of sloppy and like i wasn't yeah. really thinking but i arrived and i was like well makeup isn't a life essential you know like i got my i got my medication i got my clothes like yeah. you'll be fine <laughs> and then, um oh no people kept coming up to me and speaking to me and then i was like paul what are they saying and Paul, who's like Korean American, is like, um, they're saying that you look tired and bad. <laughs> and oh it just God. it just happened so many times. Like usually <laughs> no people who like save. No one is safe in Korea. <laughs> I caved. Like by the I was gonna stay there for six days, and by the second day, I bought a full face of makeup because they were like, You I'm just can't you. go out like that. No. It's you look so bad. And I was like, 
this is my actual face this like, is my face so I swear to God, in yeah, Korea, I will intense. put on a full face of makeup and go to go to the grocery store because I can't deal with anyone saying anything. Yo. It's so it's rough. It's like expressed as concern. You know, yeah. they're like, I'm worried about you that you would like go out like this. Exactly. You're like, this is how people look when they wake up. Yeah. They're like, are you sure you're okay to be out in public? <laughs> like, it's so it's b- bonkers. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Wait, that sounds Damn. like such a romantic day that you had in Hong Kong. Like I know. The street carts blowing. I was, ab- I was about to ask, like, <laughs> do people in Hong Kong, when they say my life be like a movie, did they immediately think like Wong Kar Wai movie? I remember one of my college professors saying that, like, the invention of the personal headphones allowed everyone to feel like, you know, they have like a serious soundtrack going when they're walking on the street That's and like so how funny. liberating it feels like when you have your song and you're like, yeah, I'm like the protagonist of like my life. But I mean, the city is romantic and it's like, sometimes it's kind of hard to like be here and not know if you're like self-orientalizing the place just Mm. because I've also consumed so much like media from people both from here and outside here about what this place means. But overall, I do think like the air is like very balmy and humid and like, like the kind of like thin sheen of sweat on people's faces. It's just kind of like, it's both really gross when you're going through it, but it feels kind of sexy in the sense like, you never know what's going to happen on the street. Like whether people are going to like break out into some large like verbal argument or like some melon is going to roll off some cart or something. So that is exciting. Yeah. I feel like I've been, I've been to Hong Kong twice and I just feel like it feels very like a magical, there's something magical feeling about it. Cause it's like a city like built on this mountain that goes into the water. And it's like, it just feels like you're in this like, I don't even know, like the sexy, like magical different world or something. It is very hilly. Like I do think that like the islands and like the accessibility of the different mountains here, it Mm -hmm. makes it easy to like see like Hong Kong from a vantage point. So like it's very exciting to experience things at the street level because it's like so much happening in terms of like sounds and tastes and smells. And then you just go like you just get a little bit of altitude and it's like very easy to like have one of those emo moments where you're like looking over the city. People do this in L.A. too, I think, where you just like look over the city and you're like, life is so fragile and fleeting. You're like looking at all the little window lights and you're like, every single one of these people has a story that matters. Yeah, it's easy to to be introspective. So real. I've definitely been in LA on a balcony. I think like post-grad, my friends and I, we were like high and like, damn, so much potential. The world is ours. We are infinite. And then, wow. That reminds me of Ezra Miller. The world is so beautiful. Talk about no. talk about a fall from grace. <laughs> but do you still feel like the world is your glittering oyster, Brian? Like, are you excited about the possibilities of being alive? Uh, this is your episode, so let's let's focus on you. <laughs> but Caitlin, uh, you know, we talked, we spoke up top about this briefly, and I've been very fortunate uh, that you. I feel very lucky that you reached out, and you know, we were able to collaborate on a few New Yorker pieces t- together, and. I know you as like an incredibly talented cartoonist, but for our listeners who may not be familiar with your work, um, can you speak a little bit about it? I feel as if it's almost cliche to talk about (laughs) being an Asian person who's like worried about creating or making art Mm. because it requires taking up space and like making yourself known. Mm -hmm. But I definitely had that kind of self-consciousness a lot growing up because I knew that I liked drawing and that I liked expressing myself that way. But um in the same way, it's, like, vulnerable to, like, sing in front of people or, like, get up and tell jokes in front of people. I also feel, like, a lot of self-consciousness when it comes to my work and, like, I have a lot of insecurities about it. Mm-hmm. So 
I guess after college, like trying to find my way as like an art graduate who is like doing a bit of like art administration as a day job and just thinking about where I wanted my life to go. Yeah. It kind of felt like posting, like similar to Zoe C, I guess, like posting drawings on the internet is kind of a way to connect with people without having to like bear your like body or face or soul in the public eye. Mm. Um, I met a lot of people who were like making zines and comics. And then I realized like, I guess because I had done a little bit of formal art training, mm-hmm. a lot of my ideas about what makes good art is like, like nice to look at or like realistic, which are like fine values to have. But then I realized what was actually interesting to me and what was the stuff that I was like buying and reading and collecting was like people who are willing to show like their own like vulnerability or humanness or like rawness or yeah. even like grossness. Mm. So I was like, buying a lot of like Xerox like zines from like art book fairs where people are like self-publishing all their own like weird like diary stories and like sharing their like sordid tales about like I don't know like sex and work and like things that you're not mm. supposed to talk about yeah that's and I when like. I read this work mm-hmm. yeah I was just like this is unlocking all of the shame inside of us because someone actually dared to say it yeah. like mm-hmm. there's this wonderful artist Jane Mai mm-hmm. and Jane Mai had this series of comics post-college called uh, blue period and they're all just about like really regular like stress about having your first few jobs and like not finding your way in a city and like every little chore feeling like so desperate and yeah. like intense mm. and seeing like her kind of like really frenetic sort of scr- scratchy lines and like drawing on like printer paper I was like there's something about this that feels immediate and urgent to me mm. so even though I didn't feel like I was capable of doing it I'm like I'm just going to keep drawing my own little comics, like put them on the internet, sell my little zines. And like, mm. I didn't really expect it to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, our favorite literary daddy, Alexander Chi, noticed oh, my work when it. it was published online. Mm. Yeah. And he like gave me my first ever commission after college. So to actually hear from someone whose work I really liked and he, when he was like, hey, like, would you like to, like, uh, do a drawing, like, for me, and I'll commission you to make a drawing about, like, his book, which had just come out, oh. like, how to write an autobiographical novel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't and know this. So that was kind of, yeah, it was kind of, like, my first start into starting to do, like, commission illustrations. Mm. And then the release of that comic, which was called Deep End, and it was in Asian American Writer Workshop's online magazine, The Margins, uh-huh. led to a literary agent contacting me which led to me making my first book, which is coming out next year. So oh it was like gosh. a five-year oh, process. Wow. But all every single step along the way, Asians. It was all Asian people like looking nice. out for me, uplifting me, reading my work. And I'm not saying like, whatever, all Asian people are perfect. But I just appreciated like that um, there was like this mutual reciprocity where it's like, hey, like we care about each other. We're looking out for each other. We want to yeah. give each other opportunities. Like, Instead of, like, pulling up the ladder under us, why can't we just, like, drop the ladder for everyone and, like, always, like, shout out and support each other? I love that. Because, like, we're living in this renaissance now Mm -hmm. of, like, so many Asian creators across art, comedy, music, actually, like, getting to have opportunities and be visible and be expressive and be appreciated. And I didn't get to see a lot of that growing up. So I'm just thinking, like, how lucky are we in this moment in time to actually have any kind of like platform or mm. I don't know it feels special and so thank- but that's just like yeah kind of a brief intro and so thankful for the people like you said that don't pull the ladder up behind them I have this thing and I that's it's it's like one of my like core values I think when I think of people and who I want to surround myself with but if I see that kind of behavior in somebody I will never ever like be friends with them because like you mm. know like even if somebody's like on my level or whatever and i see them being shitty to other people that are up and coming 
that to me is like such a red flag in a human being you know mm. it's just like so yeah I, I love i love hearing that i'm so that's like really inspiring that that happened and it was like other asian people in the community you know like giving you opportunities so i was gonna say it's really interesting to hear i guess what you described as your like artistic evolution and how going to these art book fairs and reading these zines kind of like expanded your definition or like ideas of like oh this is what the kind of art that i want to make because that's how i would describe uh, the work that you make like oftentimes when i read your scroll through your comics on instagram it, i feel this it feels cathartic uh because i mm, can relate yeah. to a lot of um the feelings that you're sharing but you're not afraid what i like so much about your work is that you're not afraid to um be vulnerable and expose these like imperfect feelings uh, especially surrounding like mental health yeah i guess um when you first start doing it, it feels like you have so much to lose. But then mm. um, I guess one thing, I don't want to generalize too much, but there is a culture or an idea about East Asian countries having this idea of like the group or like you're being part of a very big thing. Mm -hmm. And then one thing I do to like sort of unpsych myself out when I'm putting really vulnerable work out there is like, I'm literally like a blade of grass. I'm literally a grain of sand. Like, <laughs> mm. like I'm worrying so much about how people are perceiving me, but mm. in the scale of like, this world, this city, or this like universe, I'm the tiniest speck. So I don't need to like think so much. Like I'm the tiniest speck in like a grand continuum of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So I just think like, yeah, it's kind of scary to tell the world that like you're really depressed sometimes and you don't always know if you can keep going, but yeah. then we're just in this moment in time together. And if we can like say it and like digitally hold hands across the countries, like it might feel good. Yeah. It um, is comforting. Yeah. I don't know. It's weirdly comforting to be like, I'm just a speck of dust. I definitely know what you mean. <laughs> or yeah, it's it's like it's like sort of that balance of like trying to remember like that like hold the two truths in your life at the same time mm, that like yeah. that you're that you are loved and cherished and people really care about you and you're like valuable on this earth, but also like we are like exist on this earth in the continuum of time for like one second and yeah, then we're gone. Yeah, so yeah. I love trying that. to make the most of it and like let go of the stress is good. Yeah, hold the two beliefs at the same time. I am a, I am, a, I am the what's that like meme it's like I'm the hottest person in the world I am ugly and no one will ever love me <laughs> like those are my two truths <laughs> I love the meme of like the the guy looking at the bus like there's one person on the bus oh, with yeah, the good yeah, view yeah. and like the rocky oh, view oh yeah yeah I love That's that just one the the pinnacle the of everything time. yes at the same time <laughs> yes <laughs> you look at the rocks or you look at the sun yeah it's there good. you go yeah you know i was really excited to have you on this podcast because over the course of working together oftentimes i feel that our, our our creative process is like 10 minutes of actual work and then 50 minutes of just like kind of complaining about the state of the world and like the frustrations of just creative work and so you know when we ask our listeners when we ask our guests to be on the pod we often you know we'll be like oh are there any uh, things on the forefront of your mind that you really want to talk about and get out on the episode. And Caitlin, you delivered. You gave us, you have a lot of things that you want to talk about. And for good reason, because they're all great topics. But, um, you know, you mentioned that you wanted to unpack the idea that the U.S. is the literary slash film slash contemporary art center of the world. I feel like you got some hot takes here. Where is this? Is this a sense of like frustration? I'm already excited. I want to hear. Yeah, I want to hear what you got to say. 
Let's dive into it. Uh, we were just talking about like the importance of holding two truths. <laughs> and I think that like one, one truth we can hold is like a lot of really important, amazing cultural things come out of the US. Mm-hmm. And also like American people are not the only people who like creatively express themselves in this world. Wait, what? Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't know, like this idea that like, uh, it would be helpful to, you know, like read literature in translation. So, you know, about like other kinds of cultural values mm-hmm. or like when Bang Joon-ho was like talking about if you can overcome the one inch subtitles, like what, what, what worlds could you unlock by watching movies, not in English? Yeah. And I mean, I was really surprised about the discourse around that mm. speech he made, because I kind of thought that the discourse was going to be like, of course, yes. Like appreciating world cinema is how we literally, because like, I'm trying to think of like, what are the two most popular arts in the world? Mm-hmm. It's probably like music and movies, yeah. like the most widely consumed. Yeah. And then I feel like movies are a great way to like have a one or two hours where you like get into the interior life of someone who's totally different from you. And like, that's what's exciting. It's like, they're, they're not the same as you. Mm. But then I felt like a lot of the like response to that speech was like, but I hate subtitles. And I'm like, but so many of us who are like bicultural or yeah. like from like from diasporic like cultures, like you have to negotiate multiple languages in your daily life. Yeah. So like the idea <laughs> that you ever have to like not be in a totally comfortable space linguistically all the time is like not that unfamiliar to me. So yeah. I just kind of feel like um, it's helpful to also like be if you like I know not everyone has the capacity but like just expanding like one's media diet to like also consider all the kinds of different like publishing and and things that are happening and like music that's being made just like outside of like one country in the world it's like it really is edifying because then it starts to make you realize like oh maybe there's like certain cultural values that I've always thought like were literally the only way to live and you just meet like one other person who does life differently and you're like oh my goodness, like there are multiple valid ways to approach like family, society, like one's relationship to the world. Mm. And I don't want there to just be like one. I I think that's a ridiculous idea. I think what you said is so important because like other cultures in the world, you have to, you're sort of expected to at some point read subtitles because no one's going to speak your language. And so you're toggling back between different cultures and picking up information from different cultures. And in that way, you're way more culture than most Americans who literally never have to do that. Like when I moved here, it was so jarring for me to meet people that live in like New York City and they're like, well, I'm a liberal, I'm open-minded. I'm like, you've literally never seen another way of life because you've (laughs) never gone outside of American media or they'll watch like one French film in college or something. And then I'm like- do you realize that people in the world do that every single day? Like people in Malaysia are watching like Korean shows and like people in like India are watching like American show. Like uh, the rest of the world has to do that constantly. So we're picking right. up so much more cultural information. But the other, um, I think interesting thing is that there's a, if, if other things pop off in the world, there is very much this American feeling of ignoring it or um, being condescending mm. towards it. Like the K-pop mm. thing in America is bonkers. Americans, <laughs> for the life of them, will never admit that it's like blowing the fuck up. It's like so big and they'll never be like, no, every, everyone loves uh, a Katy Perry, right? And it's like, and it's it's so nuts how they're like turning, like they're like looking away from it in this country. And I feel like it's like on, it's like propaganda. It's on purpose. Oh, for sure. That's I my, often, I often my, feel that. Conspiracy. I mean, you see it in the Oscars too, <laughs> like just the categorizations of what makes what gets nominated for Best Picture versus what gets nominated for Best Foreign Film. 
And I think even with like Minari, like it didn't have enough English in it. So therefore it doesn't qualify for like best (laughs) picture. But that is a, that's a total hack. That's what I love to do is just like watch every, like once the nominations get announced, let's watch all the best foreign film nominations. Every movie is fucking fire, guaranteed, 100%. And oftentimes, they're always much better than whatever the fuck is getting nominated for Best Picture. Like, it's guaranteed. You're going to have a great time. But, uh, Caitlin, I think you can speak to, you know, your experiences in publishing. You know, you have a book coming out. And uh, did you experience any sort of these, like, biases when receiving creative feedback? Because I'm assuming that is your publishing house based in America? And, like you're an artist working in Hong Kong, so is there like were they like trying to push that onto you in any way? I feel very fortunate because um, my publisher, which is Abrams Books, mm-hmm. um, and they have like a, a, a sort of a, a line or collection like that's under Abrams that's being curated by Mariko Tamaki, okay. who's a very amazing Japanese Canadian uh, writer and whose comics I love. And because she was kind of overseeing this series, I definitely felt. So even though it was an American publishing house, there was like a real sensitivity to the fact that like my entire graphic novel takes place in Asia mm-hmm. and has like, you know, 12 Asian characters. And like, I remember feeling like quite nervous about it because also worrying that like there were all these things that I wanted to specifically include, like uh, multiple languages in the book or certain mm-hmm. kinds of cultural things I didn't want to explain, like a lot of panels to do with like a kind of silence because um some other comic like scholars have made this point before. Like it's a very broad generalization, but uh, like, some comic scholars have posited that American comics have a lot to do with what's happening and like the event, whereas like a lot of Japanese comics have a lot to do with the journey and like the sort of introspective, like interior narration and like what's happening in between. Mm-hmm. Like in between and like interior spaces is like where a lot of interesting narratives can also unfold, mm-hmm. and not just like a kind of big, big bang fizz, like major event. Mm -hmm. So I felt like lucky that like, in terms of like the interior art for the kind of stories I wanted to tell, there is like a lot of slow, slow, slowness and like a lot of silence. And I was worried that that might be off-putting because like, I read a lot of like English comments about Asian movies online and Mm -hmm. people are also like, nothing happens or like, Mm -hmm. it's really slow. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of something I'm interested in in art because I kind of feel like, um, there's like real beauty and value to actually like being attuned to like the world around you and like feeling like you're part of it instead of being like, I'm on my mission to like conquer and like do things, which is like a perfectly valid narrative that I feel is technically overrepresented in comics. Mm. So um, I do feel like I was, had the fortunate experience of getting to work with like early supportive team with like different queer people and some people of color. So it was just good to like have my experiences affirmed in that way and not feel like, I was like self-tokenizing, which is like Mm. something I think I've definitely done before where I like, I think it's hard to ask young creators not to like notice the demands of the market. Mm. And the demands of the market are such that like young people or all kinds of people who are trying to make it are like putting really vulnerable, hard experiences about their own trauma Mm. or like maybe race stuff out there because they think like people love to consume our pain. And like, that's kind of true, but also... I'm worried that it's becoming this vicious cycle of like, okay, certain things get certain clicks and certain engagements. So we basically only ask people to speak when like their people are being like murdered or something. Like that's something that Ocean Vuong has talked about. Mm. So I feel like very mindful about like, like 
Ocean Vuong has always said, like, I don't want to take people on a safari. He's mm-hmm. like, Vietnamese culture is not foreign to me. Like, so he doesn't feel like a oh, need to so... explain and sort of be like a 101. Yeah. And I feel like that's something I'm always trying to make sure that I'm also like not overcompensating or like over apologizing for when it's like, just because my default view is of a place that like not everyone in the world has heard of or knows about, it doesn't mean that I have to like, apologize for existing you know oh that's such an interesting way to put it i don't want to take you on a safari like you're gonna you're like oh look at the lions what this is weird (laughs) like that sort of that's like a great way oh you know what you what you said reminded me of when we were talking to eric kim the cookbook the author he said the first episode he did he talked about how it's so popular now to have like a like a cookbook or a cookbook or like a, a article about food that mm-hmm. involves like family trauma because yeah. people are trying to buy articles like that and so i remember him being like if you're a new writer it's very like seductive to want to write about the worst thing that's ever happened to you or you know your your immigrant parents like what they had to go through um and you want to write that as like your first thing because that's very marketable but his advice was like you know, maybe you have to wait a little bit to like have some like experience under your wing and then you uh, learn how to express yourself in a more authentic way. And then you can tackle those big things like it's he's like he gave advice like not to sell that story right off the bat. It's good advice because I think uh, there's a lot of anxiety around accomplishing things by a certain age. Yeah. It's definitely just like ageism plus capitalism equals like those lists. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I think that a lot of people feel incentivized to be like, if I don't have a certain kind of bio with bi- certain bylines or like things checked by the time I'm X age, right. like yeah. I'm going to be whatever. When the truth is like the most interesting people in the world are the yeah. ones who've had time to like think through how they want to present themselves. Um, yeah. And I mean, being really intentional about it, it is careful. But like what you were saying, it's sad because those stories, like people want to buy those stories. So people want to so quickly get, like get yeah. rid, like offer those stories for sale. And it's just like, I'm like almost 40. And I feel like now I'm at the place where I can talk about like some trauma that happened. Like, I'm so glad that I didn't do it when I was 21 and, you know, write a fucking <laughs> book or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel like a lot of your comedy like it really plays off sort of like things that maybe you've like internalized or experienced, but like just wanted to like find a good outlet for, but it's, I think you're, you tow a really interesting line. Cause sometimes you make like really like funny and self-deprecating work, but it doesn't feel like you're like apologetic and like meek about it. Like you're almost like this interesting, like super blend of like confidently self-deprecating and it's like very powerful. <laughs> and I kind of feel like it just comes from like being like, I know myself and I know my style and who I want to be today. So I'm not going to like, whatever, apologize for the way that I want to like present or talk or like make jokes. And there's like yeah. something that's super refreshing about that. Thank you. Yeah. Like, Damn. you know, your faults and your shitty, the things that you don't like about yourself, like me, they don't, you don't have to apologize. You can be like, this is how I am. But it's kind of funny though. <laughs> Caitlin's speaking the truth here. She knows us better than we know ourselves, young me. <laughs> um, Wait, do we should we switch topics? Because you did also have another great topic, which we we really wanted to talk about. Um, you said that you wanted to discuss like anti-feminism or like maybe how feminism is viewed in Asia. And I wanted to ask you, I, I think sometimes people view like East Asia as a place that is like 
anti-feminist or misogynistic in a lot of ways. And I wanted to ask you, like as a female presenting person, like what's your personal experience with that living there? Yeah, I am just one tiny individual. But (laughs) one thing I've sort of like, just because I feel like I definitely like don't know about every single Asian country. Like every time I think about how big this continent is and how many different kinds of cultures there are in like Southeast Asia, South Asia, Central Asia, Uh I guess I feel like I'm I'm really speaking to like an East Asian experience because I'm from Hong Kong and like I studied East Asian studies. So like that's more of an area that I feel like competent to talking about a little bit. But I feel like there's um, interesting contradictions here in the sense that like, of course, it's very easy to look at certain kinds of um, statistics or ways that things operate here and be like, oh, those are very like entrenched patriarchal values that are like very Confucian and about respect, especially for a patriarch, which is true. And like it is, it does exist. It exists in every workplace. It exists in almost every family. Like we can't deny that that exists. And at the same time, I also feel as if um, there's a kind of really interesting sort of like only you'll notice if you're here, like a certain kind of outspokenness or freedom that's possible for some women that I've just noticed in terms of like, I feel like I see a lot of like more uh, gender nonconforming or Mm. like tomboy people here Mm. than I do in other East Asian countries. And it makes me feel as if it's really exciting that like you can, you know, be a woman who, let's say, like, has short hair and doesn't wear makeup and still be taken seriously in your life. Mm. Like, it's only in certain contexts, but I just think, I don't know what it has to do with specifically, but I just feel as if um, there are women who, like, specifically are looking out for each other here because we know that there, like, are certain, like, patriarchal social norms. Like, maybe it's just small things, but, like, I was thinking about um, something Youngmi said, I think maybe it was on Harry Butthole. Like, we were you were talking about, like, Korea and people looking out for each other and the sense of like a kind of a little bit of an intra community even amongst like regular citizens uh-huh. and it got me think like that thought that you shared just made me reflect about all these times that I felt like people were looking out for me mm. where like there's been times where I've like been crying a lot on public transport like by myself and there'll be a woman who just like slides me like a tissue packet on the chair like doesn't say anything but mm. it's like I got you like here's pack of tissues or I, like, go to the swimming pool to, like, exercise. And, like, Mm. sometimes elderly women come up to me in the changing room. And because, like, I'm Asian, I always think they're, like, going to scold me. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, getting ready for, like, a roasting. And they always are really kind. Like, they'll be like, hey, you're swimming really fast these days. I've been, like, watching you. Like, I think you're improving. Or, like, Mm. oh, your hair looks great. And, like, they'll say all this stuff in Cantonese. And I'll, like, I'll reply in Cantonese, like, also in this, like, really nervous way. But then they, like, won't, like, be hard on me about, like, my language abilities like some other people have been. Mm. And it just makes me feel like, okay, like, you can live in a society that's broadly patriarchal, that disregards women's rights. But, like, the kinds of care that women and other marginalized genders, like, extend to each other is, like, the one safety net we have against, like, this, like, emotional or, like, psychological bearing of knowing that you're, like, a woman moving through public space. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I do feel like that there's a kind of bomb here in the sense like there's a lot of quiet ways in which I see women like taking care of each other, yeah. especially in the cultures of like public bathing. Mm. Like there's like just sort of like this sort of body acceptance that can be really like, I don't know, cathartic and nice. So I feel like the thing about feminism in different East Asian countries that it exists on like a lot of like parallel spectrums right. where like, mm. of course, there's like certain oppressions that are extremely serious and like grave and like need to be dealt with. But there's also all these like interesting like, it's like that Newton's law of whatever, whatever, where it's, like, every single force has, like, a force of the opposite <laughs> level, oh, yeah, like, absolutely. opposite yes, amount. Yes. I don't know physics. Yes. But, like, for the for yes. the amount of misogyny and patriarchy yes. that exists here, there's, like, For every action, there's a reaction. Is that it? 
Yeah. Yeah. Woo! I, yeah. Lo- I love hearing uh, <laughs> hearing this perspective because, you know, this is something that I would never learn from reading like these articles, especially here in America, because from the outside yep. looking in, like my only perspective is, you know, what's close to me, which is Korea. And what you just described of like, People like you, you experience this support from other women about like not wearing makeup and having very short hair. Where that's in co- stark contrast, where like my exposure to that in Korea is there was this Olympic archer who had like a very short haircut. She won two gold medals, but was just absolutely vilified online for like because she looked in appearance like very feminist and they wanted to like you know, subdue her her accomplishments and celebration. And it just got lost yeah. in that muck of, like, this anti-feminist discourse. <laughs> and, like, you know, I, that's something I would not know about. Like, because my only perspective is just that. But hearing your, from you, Caitlin, like, there is a lot of, like, quiet ways to show support with one another. And you find comfort in that. Well, yeah, I think that's the interesting thing is, like, on paper, you know, in the West, people are like, well, East Asians are sexist right but when i was living there too i was like yeah on paper there's all these laws and these things that you're reading but day to day there's way more i felt way more supported as a woman Mm. by other women there and i never felt unsafe in this way that i feel unsafe in this country there's absolutely no camaraderie between anyone in this country it's all you know and like i I think there are little pockets of like ethnic groups and like-minded people like you know you'll go to queens and it'll be like this neighborhood of like bangladeshi people that really look out for each other but like through the whole country that's not a that's not a through line you know it's very lonely and isolating here in a way that in korea it wasn't yeah i also feel like except um, they're gonna talk shit about you they constantly talk about your body no that that cannot be ignored it's true um (laughs) but i guess it kind of relates also to this idea that um, different kinds of movements like uh, feminist movement or LGBT rights movement, um, there's a lot of discourse in this part of the world about whether those movements are like, like solely originating in the West or that like, Mm. whether it's like slang that we're all just like translating and inheriting. Whereas I kind of think like, I mean, that is one way people can think or look at it, but like your previous guest, like Alok was saying, like there are parallel histories of different kinds of like LGBT expression in other cultures that are like pre-modern, like really date back to such long times. And also like there are matriarchal ways of organizing society that have also exist in different parts of the world. So I just feel like I'm always trying to push back here whenever there are people around me who are like, oh, if you're like care about feminism or LGBT issues, it's just because you've been like brainwashed by the West. And I'm like... But it's no. like there. No. Yeah, please don't. Well, like, please don't lie to me like that. Day, remember Day Kim, the founder of Sunday School. When he was on here, he said that because he was like he looked into it as a, like a gay man living in Korea, and he was like, before the fucking white missionaries, no one really gave a fuck if you're like gay. Like they like they would just be like, okay, you're gay. Oh, we don't like that on paper, but no one's gonna like. You know what I mean? It wasn't like set in stone that that was like wrong. And it was like way more. I think the world was just way more open minded until these like rigid religious ideologies came into play, you know? You know, it's it's really imbalanced because now, yeah. you know, a lot of these countries that previously colonized other countries can have like same sex marriage, which is great. But then it's like, why do you think we don't have it here? Yeah, because <laughs> you like, fucking took it it's away. Like, it's, it's British colonization that yeah. created the anti-homosexuality laws in HK. So I'm just like. 
it's it's very frustrating yeah yeah, to have that history taken away but i think you know like what you were saying this behavior this like oh even if it's like there's an oppressive force we still look out for each other that's how it was before and during like the colonization do you know what i mean it's like all right you fucking british people you're gonna say we can't be gay but we're just gonna be gay and we're gonna keep doing that (laughs) secretly (laughs) yeah that is such a great point though because that's probably something that I learned more recently, embarrassingly so. But these ideas of, you know, like being anti-gay in Korea or like <laughs> East Asia at large, I oftentimes just rather than thinking about the historical implications of colonization and how those rules were established by the colonizers, it was more I'm like, oh, well, that's just Confucianist ideology. And I'm, I'm realizing that that's totally misguided. <laughs> there was just a lot of, yeah, documented um, same gender relationships yep. in East Asian history. Right. So once say, you read all that yeah. stuff, you're like, dang, dang okay, I didn't know. it's awesome. I was going to say, I yeah. went to a sex museum in uh, Korea and I was like, I thought it was just like a fun, like the dildos, but it was like an ancient <laughs> history of sex in Asia museum with art of ancient artifacts. And there was mm, so much cool. gay porn. I'm telling y'all fucking from like china and korea and japan so like from 14 like whatever 1100 they they have been gay we have been gay in asia like uh, americans being like did you hear about like non-gender i'm like we already know okay you took that away from us don't don't act like you're introducing something to us i did i saw a bronze dildo from like 600 years ago it was a dp dildo a dp dildo both you know double penetration we've we've been we've been on this shit (laughs) that sounds like an amazing museum visit it kind of reminds me of like there's one time where i was in living in tokyo and i was going to an exhibition of shunga i'm not sure if i'm saying it right but it's just uh erotic and sexual japanese ukiyo-e woodblock prints and it was kind of a major exhibition because it was like returning a lot of these works because, you know, a lot of Japanese UQA prints um, were stolen and, and taken to the U.S. So it was like a really big deal, like, oh, the prints are coming home and like they're really sexy. And I remember going and it was housed in this like very historical building. And because I went on a weekday because I was a college student, I was just looking at all this like really intense, like uh, pre-modern or modern pornography with a bunch of like elderly retirees. <laughs> they were they all had their like hats and glasses and umbrellas and were like, mm, we're looking at these like octopus sex prints. And I was like, we are so cultured, like just a bunch of adults looking at art together. It's like um, ancient yes. porn. This one's good. I like this one. Yeah, That's I got to so go funny. to a museum this weekend. Which, which one is that, young me? No, that was in Korea. That was when I was living in Korea. Caitlin, we've reached the second half of our podcast, which technically is more the last quarter of our podcast. And uh, we're going to hit you with some questions here. So, Caitlin, what is something you're loving right now? Eating fruit. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard like as a as an adult millennial to remember to like ingest fruits um and buy them and like wash them and prepare them for yourself but um yeah especially on a hot summer day nothing like a bunch of apple slices or orange slices like because i i love junk food so very oh, much so it's not as if like an either or thing but i think junk food and fruit they're like doing different things for your soul and they balance know, each other like, eating out. a little orange yeah yeah it's kind of like it just reminds me also there was like a meme that someone made on Twitter that was about like like it was like a 
a little, it was like this text that said like Asian parent. And then there was like a, a block, like a, like a, a hurdle for like apology for something mean that they did. And then at the end, there's a block that's like brings you sliced fruit. And they just like the pathway of the parent is like avoiding the first hurdle and then jumping over the second. <laughs> um, but it's true. Like there was a lot of ways in which like sliced fruit became a metaphor in my family for like, I want to connect with you emotionally, mm. but we're not going to talk about it. So I feel like the fruit as a self-care is coming back to me. Ooh, I think I love that. Yeah, fruit, fruit always makes me feel like I'm, ta- I'm like connecting with my ancient ancestors. Because they were probably like, oh, look, it's fruit. Like, I'm so excited. What are you two's favorite fruits? I want to know. Um, I would say peach and guava. Wow, guava. Guava or passion fruit? For summary. Yeah, yeah I'll say uh, peach. Watermelon. By far number one peach in terms of convenience. It's not, you can eat the skin, yeah, super easy, super tasty. And then back to my lizard brain ways, I'd say blackberries because every morning I eat the same breakfast, which is yogurt, Greek yogurt, blackberries, and a little honey and chia seeds. That sounds good. I should mix it up though. I love I've been eating watermelon. the same thing for breakfast for the last month, every morning. That's good. It's, I don't think it's good. Seems like you like routine. You know what my thing is? My <laughs> most favorite thing, though, like that elevates fruit. It's like if you eat it like the Mexican way with like tagine and chamoy. Have you? Oh, a squeeze of lime. yes. Yes. If I will eat anything. You put that on any fruit. I will eat the shit out of it. Oh, my God. It's so good. Wait, have either of you tried? That sounds really yummy. Have either of you tried those expensive Asian fruits? Like those $40 strawberries or those like $100 mangoes. Are they good? Are they (gasps) good? No, I've never tried. Are they good? Okay. We just got a thumbs up from Caitlin. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're, they, they stress me out because like they, when people have gifted them to me and I've tried them, I'm like, Oh no, they're so good. But I I definitely have to go back to eating regular fruit, Mm -hmm. but I just, I think they're just very like well cultivated. Um, Young me, how was your experience of eating expensive strawberries on TikTok? Oh, yeah. I got those $15 strawberries. They were good. They were really good. But I also <laughs> feel like once I also had another like $40 fruit something, like a little pear or something, and it was good. But when I was in Japan, they have a fancy store like in Ginza where they sell all this fruit and it's like $300 apple, whatever, right? It, it's the yeah. the whole store is just fruit and i would just go in there and look at everything and i went in there so much the people like started to recognize me and they like hated me they're like here she is again she's gonna look at all the fruit and not buy anything not i went i went in there like every day i was like ooh, i was like i was so tempted to buy something but i never did it and they're like oh god here she is again she's gonna sm- she's gonna breathe on all the fruit <laughs> That reminds me of a uh, Simpsons episode when they're in Japan and like Homer buys a really expensive watermelon, but it's square. <laughs> oh, they have those. Um, well, Next Caitlin, time conversely, I go, I'm definitely going to get one. What, what's something you're hating right now? Um, it's a very petty thing to say, but there's a lot of torrential downpour here, like rain. And in the summer, because it's really hot, it's like 30 degrees Celsius. You want to wear open toed shoes. Yeah. Um, but then your your shoes are filled with rain all the time. Oh. So mm. one thing I don't like is like squelching, squelching shoes through the rain. Um, 
And that's just something that's kind of bugging me. That is a three month period of every single year of Hong Kong. So Damn. <laughs> it's romantic, I, as you said, but it's squelchy. That, I hate squelchy. that. That sounds awful. The fe- uh, fe- wet feet drive me insane. No, but it, it sounds like in Hong Kong, you just have no choice because of monsoons. Yeah, it just kind of happens. Although I think it's also happened to me in New York before. Like I've been wearing sneakers and you step in some puddle yeah. and then you have to squelch all your way home. So I think squelchy shoes are a global struggle, mm-hmm. really. I'm going to pick off behind of your response. I hate open toe shoes. <gasps> what? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Not a fan. Wow. Not a fan. Even my Birkenstocks, I have like the closed toe ones. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen your toes, Brian. To- feet, toes are gr- feet. I know. I mean, in New York, like, it's just it, everything's so disgusting. So when I yeah. see a flip flop in New York, I'm like, what are you doing? But I, I like wearing sandals because then what I do, I always do this in the summer. I'll wear the sandals. I'll come home and just wash my feet. See, and like I know I like you do that. that. Feeling. But when I see <laughs> the people on New York with flip flops, I know, I know. You're probably wearing your flip-flops in bed. I know you're not washing your feet before you get in bed. Yeah, there's there's no like white guy washing his feet in this. <laughs> I, I, I love washing my feet. I wash my feet all day long. But I have to say that... Um, wait, was, I forgot what I was going to say. I think that... I don't know. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I'm so glad I've never seen Brian's toes. I feel like feet are disgusting. I know, peop- I know people are into feet. I know that's a thing. But yeah. for me, gross. Um, I was going to ask Young Me if she has like a foot basin. Oh, no, I don't have that. I just have like, okay. I just have like such a small apartment. I just like wash them off in the shower or the sink. Because mm. I use my, like I have a plastic tub for laundry and it's both a laundry tub. And then sometimes you can fill it with like a little bit of warm water and like a little essential oils, like a free spot. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. That's Wait, un- maybe that I sounds need that. unreal. <laughs> I gotta do well, that. It's just a plastic tub. You can get them for like $3 in Chinatown, but... But the essential um, yeah, oil foot soak can really de-stress. That, that. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Next level. Upgrade yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. But speaking of washing feet, that reminds me of this really funny meme I saw. Could be totally unrelated, but it, it this is very like tangential. But it's uh this it's like from the perspective of a woman, they're like, oh, when you when you invite your uh like hookup to your house and then you go down on a gown go down on them and their dick smells like your hand soap yes <laughs> i love that meme oh my god <laughs> when his dick smells like your hand soap in your bathroom yeah. <laughs> Jesus. there's layers there's there's layers to that meme let's just say oh, man. oh no <laughs> When his dick, so when his funny, dick be yeah. smelling like the essential oils that you put in your foot basin. <laughs> no, way to ruin like the one good thing I had in my life, Brian. Uh, Thanks just a lot. being an absolute menace on this podcast. Um, well, uh, listeners, we've reached an anxiety. We're at an exciting inflection point. Uh, we're we we are at the moment where we ask Caitlin what she's ashamed of, and if you want to hear her response to this question, you got to subscribe to the Patreon. You know, our Patreon is it's it's an it's a growing entity. We're learning from you all. We're here. We're listening. There's a lot of room for growth. We did a Q and A with Young Me's mom that no one attended for good reason. <laughs> well, it was very last minute. But very we're last, bring her back. very last minute, and it was a harrowing day. So we understand. Yeah. 
but uh, we're open to feedback. But in any case, if you want to hear Caitlin's banger of a response to this, because we know that it's going to be a banger, go to patreon.com slash feelingasian. Caitlin, what is something that you're ashamed of? Wow. 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 What a conversation we had. Wow. If you don't subscribe to the Patreon, you're missing out on some fucking great nuggets of knowledge here. It might solve all of your life problems if you heard what Caitlin said. Therefore, you don't need to subscribe, listen to the podcast anymore or nor subscribe to the Patreon. And it'll save you a lot of money in the end because you're like, wow, Caitlin's so wise and just drop the knowledge. But Excuse me. I guess you won't know until you subscribe. You. <laughs> um, well, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for being so vulnerable and sharing your experience with us. And as you know, we like to end our conversations with this one last question. And that is, what is something that you're proud of? I'm proud of the fact that I um, made it to the ripe age of 27. I know there's still life to be lived, but uh, I grew up in a a very like fearful and anxious mode. And because like all the examples of adults I could see around me were not necessarily living in ways that I could picture myself doing. I was like, I guess I'm just going to die then. Like it, it sounds really dramatic, but I think that the more I like read about it, the more I realize like that um, mental health issues can be pretty common in certain communities, many of which I am a part of. So <laughs> I think that I don't know. I didn't actually expect to get to make it to my age, which is why I'm not very good at like making five or 10 year plans because I don't always know or think I'm going to make it. But I'm just proud that like um, I'm still trucking along, even though I'm not necessarily like the person I want to be yet. I'm also like, well, it's sometimes just fun to like see how the movie of your life is going to turn out, especially because I feel like I know a lot of people whose lives I am excited about. So I want to see how their lives turn out, too. So just staying alive is something that I think can be hard and I'm proud of it. That's amazing. I feel like that's very inspiring for people to hear that. You know, sometimes you don't know how life will end up, but just enjoy, just enjoy being in the movie and enjoy the ride. And also I like the optimism of, I, I know I have a lot of great people in my life too. And I, I want to be alive to see how their movies turn out. Yeah, I guess it's <laughs> kind of, scary because it's like the, the the scariest and most exciting thing about life is you don't know how much time you're going to get so i don't know you can mm, it end tomorrow right. in 80 years so hopefully it'll be exciting yolo <laughs> back, back to the theme of yolo yes like you said yolo was that audrey lord you said yolo audrey lord <laughs> yolo audrey lord. no i think that was bell hooks actually <laughs> bell hooks said yolo somebody said it <laughs> <laughs> well, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, my handle is at Caitlin M. Chan. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun, guys. Yay. And where can uh, our listeners find you online, Young Me? Uh, YM Mayor and Young Me Mayor on TikTok. How about you, Brian? You guys can find me at It's Brian Park. Follow the podcast at Feeling Asian Podcast. Check out our Patreon. Leave us a review. If you made it this far into the podcast, you know what time it is. It's time to do some Patreon shoutouts. And a quick reminder, the best way to support this podcast is on Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. Check it out. We have so many different subscription tiers. But any donation amount gets you a shoutout on the podcast where we guess who you are based on your name alone. So without further ado, this week's shoutouts. First shoutout goes out to Pak Lung. 
Pak Lung Lung. I I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it, but I am going to guess that you are a lawyer who does focus groups in their free time, as in you enjoy uh, testing new products and uh, being in conference rooms, and you actually make good money. It's a great side hustle, and it doesn't. And you're also a great lawyer. Which is how you have the disposable income to support our podcast. So thank you. Uh, next shout out goes out to Rose Albert. Rose, I'm gonna guess that you are a big time watch collector. I'm just seeing a lot of watches in my vision board for you, and you're a trailblazer because in a male-dominated industry like horology, you're making inroads. You're shaking hands, and you're making a you're creating a big name for yourself out there.、So、you're a big time watch collector. Thank you for supporting the pod. Next shout out goes out to Alexander Chi. Wow, Alexander, hello. Alexander Chi is a friend of the podcast, former guest of the podcast, and author extraordinaire. Yeah, we don't. There's no. There's no Patreon guesses here. And it's good timing because even Caitlin,、uh, you know,、uh, Caitlin brought mentioned you, and I think it's you're, you. It speaks for itself. You are a champion of Asian arts, and most importantly, you are someone who extends the ladder down to help others. So for that, thank you, thank you, thank you, Alexander. Thank you for supporting the podcast, and everyone, please go read Alexander's work. Uh, next shout out goes out to Yatesh Singh. Yatesh,、uh, you are a high school teacher. I think you teach history, but you also play in a hardcore punk band, and y- y- you're at a、uh, you're at a challenging、uh, inflection point in that your fear is that your high school students are going to See you play in your hardcore punk band, but your hardcore punk band is actually taken off. They're getting quite big, and sooner or later, it's gonna happen any moment now. And most importantly, thank you for supporting the podcast. <laughs> and our last shout out for this episode goes out to Stephanie Lowe. Stephanie, I'm gonna guess that you are a sunglasses, sunglass, sunglasses. You design sunglasses. And you're an industry leader in designing sunglasses、um, for people who、uh, go to Las Vegas every weekend and wear their sunglasses at pool parties and indoors. It's not your personal taste, but you just know how to design a damn good sunglass that crushes in Las Vegas. But、uh, thank you, thank you, and thank you again for everyone who supports the podcast. And yeah, once again, check out our Patreon. Best way to support us. Thank you, everyone, and thanks to this wonderful group of、uh, people who you know support the podcast. Thank you, thank you, and yeah, thanks for listening. And we hope to see you all here next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.